yeah, take it take it offline doesn't make any sense to me at all. No, not no. Unless you're literally you're like you're no longer it's not going over email. You're not you know, it's carrier pigeon now. <laughs> you guys are making a podcast. for this welcome to episode four of the podcast nobody asked for with uh with me graham jones and him ian harry's <laughs> we're funny because because that's graham jones so each week uh we pick a topic and then we pick our personal top three lists based on that topic and then we argue over what our final official top three list will be yeah, which usually is is quite long and protracted, and luckily there's editing, so you don't have to hear all of it. Yeah, um, there's, there's a good twenty minutes of Henry Cavill that is going to be cut out of this episode. So this week, uh, episode four, we're going to talk about great scenes in terrible movies. Yeah, so I mean, we've all watched films that have been absolutely dire, that have then been remotely salvaged by suddenly an incredible scene appearing out of nowhere. So it was an interesting topic to look into. Um, I made the mistake of re-watching some of these films for research purposes, which I regret and will hold against Graham for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean, if if you were smart like me, I, I just watched the scenes rather than the entire movies. It's still quite, well, actually not quite painful because they were quite good. But yeah, it's it was it was an interesting one. I think it's one of those, it's like finding a redeeming feature in a terrible person. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, obviously, as, as with every week, before we get into the real crux of the subject, um, you know, just a, a good movie recommendation because not necessarily the six films we're going to talk about here today are what you're going to watch, particularly as most of them are terrible if you watch them all the way through. So I think this week it's your turn in. Have you got a re- movie yeah, recommendation so, so for it? This week is my turn. Today's movie recommendation nobody asked for. In honour of the fact I was late recording today because we were up until 2am playing the Jaws board game, is Game Night. So Game Night is a comedy with Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams, which looked shit, but is actually one of the most surprisingly funny films I've seen in a long time. It also has a Westian, and that's all I really need from a film. (laughs) Um, And if that's not your, you know, your kind of cup of tea, um, I'll kind of throw out an alternate movie recommendation as well so obviously i'm a big fan of uh kind of you know scandinavian culture you know daytimes that don't end um so i would strongly recommend uh the movie midsummer 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 it's definitely worth a watch but Good film yeah so this week like we said it's great scenes in terrible movies and uh it's me starting with uh, my first choice so my choice for uh, or my first great scene in a terrible movie is the opening credits to x-men origins wolverine what an awful film an awful film i think my favorite thing with wolverine is it's the naming convention of a series that never actually happened (laughs) yeah (laughs) so there was supposed to be a whole x-men origins franchise and they tried one film realized it was crap and then i think rolled everything into first class i mean i've kind of lost track of where the x-men films are anyway uh, Dark Phoenix was the last one, right? I think. Yeah, but like, what counts now and what doesn't count? And, New and... Mu- did Mu- New Mutants got released? Eventually, Just got released yeah. Two years after it was filmed. Two years after it was first delayed. <laughs> <laughs> the ironic thing with with the X Men Origins Wolverine is that 
Wol- like Wolverine has probably starred in as a standalone the best and worst X Men films because Logan is fantastic. Oh yeah, no, hundred percent. But the so the opening credits of X Men Origins is basically Wolverine and Sabretooth fighting their way through history. They flee Canada um, and then for some reason decide yeah, and then for some reason decide to fight in the American Civil War. They then end up fighting in World War One, World War Two, and then Vietnam. And it's kind of following them, like, charging into battle and what they're doing. And it's so fucking cool. It's it's a better idea for a film than the actual film they did. Because I would watch, like, a period piece Wolverine film. Yeah. I noticed watching it back, like, there's, it just seems to be, like, increase As you go through the wars, it, Wolverine's increasingly like, oh, come on, mate, Saber 2, don't go that far. Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna, yeah. I've been fighting in wars with you for 115 years <laughs> and nobody apparently notices. No, why would you? Yeah, like war photographers or anything like that. You, you, you think you would notice. Arguably the best scenes of X-Men Origins and then the Wolverine were the flashbacks to his time during war. Because in the Wolverine, you've also got the scene where he survives uh, the atomic bomb. But Origins is just, it's its an awful, awful film. It's awfully cast because, like, Will I Am is in it. It did have perfect casting for Deadpool because Ryan Reynolds was in it. But they, it's the film where they surgically sewed his mouth up. Yeah, it's, I mean, if you're talking, if you're talking terrible scenes and terrible films, that's probably number one, right? Oh, yeah, but it's, it's great because the, the, the final fight scene is Wolverine and Deadpool who has, like, samurai swords that come out of his arms, which technically means he wouldn't be able to bend at the elbow. But they're fighting on top of, like, nuclear tower, and the evil general Colonel Geezer is typing commands. <laughs> so it's just, like, the worst 80s video game ever. I think at one point he literally types decapitate. <laughs> nice. So that's the kind of level of film we're dealing with. It completely missed the mark on what you would want from a Wolverine story, what you would want from just anything. Cinema. Which is, yeah, <laughs> cinema in general. But the op- the opening scene is it's just insane. I really enjoyed the um, the kind of score that it's set yeah. to. I thought that went really well with it. My only slight issue with the scene itself is like, I've read quite a bit of X-Men, Logan stuff. Yeah. And and I know this, it kind of becomes a bit of a moot point because of the whole multiverse thing and everything, but I don't really recall anything where anything like this kind of happens in terms of like all of the fighting through all these different wars and stuff. Um, and that was my only thing. I was like, yeah, it's cool, but at the same time, this is is this relevant? I don't know. Well, it's, it's X Men gave them kind of the really tedious get out of jail card because he had amnesia, <laughs> so he can't remember any of this stuff. But it's to me, it it felt it felt more to me watching it back. It felt more like the opening scene to a video game than a movie. Yeah, that's fair. And to be honest, that sounds like it'd be a great video game. It'd be a fantastic video but, game. I don't know, just like the idea of like Wolverine being in the American Civil War. That's like a film idea in itself. And like Wolverine in World War One is a film idea in itself. And the same with World War Two and then Vietnam. And then the story they decide to tell is a weird thing that involves Will I Am as a teleporting guy. And like it kind of goes into a weird murder mystery that you kind of know the answer to before because they're already retreading stuff. Because it's a, it's an origin film of someone they kind of explained the origin of already. Yeah. So just like lean into it and do it like a past story of him or 
it didn't make sense. I mean, it, it's... I, I think Hugh Jackman's great as Wolverine, but he's definitely been in more bad films as Wolverine than good films. Oh, absolutely. I, I personally don't like any of the original trilogy of the X-Men films. Yeah, I mean, it's going from... Um, original trilogy is worth going back to, because one and two have actually aged very, very well. Yeah. But, yeah, X-Men Origins. I mean, like I said, it's a special... I can't think of many films that their naming convention assumed a franchise that never happened. No, no, that's that's a fair point. Or at least so jarringly <laughs> um, assumed a sequel. Because like you've got, like... Um, like Alita Battle Angel. Yeah. Like that's clearly like a subtitle they might have so basically you're saying out of and anything with a colon in the title. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't trust colons. <laughs> but no, it was it was so the next one after this I think was supposed to be X-Men Origins Magneto. Right, okay. I'd yeah. quite like to see it's interesting with the whole like it actually tees up a bunch of things that would be a better movie than the actual movie itself and I definitely want to see Wolverine versus Will I Am in like Vietnam or something I'd watch that um, that'd be fantastic but that's what I mean there's so many so many interesting conversations they must have had that they refused to look into and then obviously I mean one of the best scenes one of the best scenes related to this film is in Deadpool 2 where he goes back in time and shoots old Deadpool yeah so I can't stress enough how bad this film is. And it's also kind of, it, it, it's universally panned as well. So I think a lot of people forget just how cool the opening sequence was, and which then also makes the rest of the film seem even worse because you watch the opening <laughs> sequence, it's like, oh, wow, this is, this is really You're cool. pumped up. And then it um, just doesn't make any sense. It's not good, but yeah, so that, that's, my, that's my first choice. And it is mainly based on just how dire the film is and it's also good to remind people that you know wolverine is really cool he's just been in shit films yeah fair point interesting good good first choice um well bad first choice well yeah well good and bad um which is really what it's all about um, we, we have fun so i'm gonna go with highway 23 pile up in final destination uh, nice. Two, 2003's Final Destination 2. Um, Another series like American Pie where I'm sure there's a lot more of those films than I actually think there are. Yeah, so it's there's been five movies so far and there's a sixth one in the works, which sounds like it might be a sixth movie, but it also might be a reboot of First Final Destination because that's what we need right yeah because isn't it something like the is it spoilers if i'm not sure if it's right uh, either way no, the, it's, it's final destination it, no one cares the, the fifth one leads into the first one uh i'm genuinely not sure because definitely haven't watched the fifth one <laughs> i think i just got annoyed when one of them was called the final destination yeah, yeah that was final and, destination four yeah and yeah. then there was another film yeah yeah it's a yeah, big story all over again exactly what i was just about to say <laughs> real fast and loose with the word final but yeah so uh, i mean this is i thought this was a great scene the obviously final destination as a series kind of relies on these original kind of like premonition scenes because it tees everything up there's the big premonition of everyone dying then they somehow get out of that happening and then the next 90 minutes is death following them to claim it all back yeah. basically Final Destination 1 obviously had the scene in the aeroplane which I think is probably where they got the idea for the name Final Destination from because of that's what you call where you're where you're going when you travel on a plane oh yeah <laughs> and I don't think it's really been that applicable to any other film because I think the third one's like a roller coaster if I remember rightly 
Yeah. The third one's a roller coaster. The fourth one, I think, is a bridge. Mm. And then I'm not sure what the fifth one is. Uh, the fifth one is probably... Right, we'll, just, we'll just lie and say it with confidence. Yeah. Uh, it's a volcano. Oh, yeah, the volcano. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, a yeah. volcano. Yeah, excellent. And, you know, and it really obviously fed back into the plane yeah, crash yeah, on Destination yeah. 1. So, okay, it was the CGI moose which confused me <laughs> and the dance number. But the thing is, is, you know, moose, mises, moose-i, they're not that hard to train, so why did you get a CGI one? <laughs> but, yeah, anyway, going back to the... the Highway 23 pileup. I'd say that if you asked anyone about any of the Final Destination movies, this is probably the most memorable scene from the franchise. I think it's really well put together. Um, I mean, I still get nervous if I'm behind like a truck that's stacked with things that could probably kill me. Fun fact, I was once stuck behind a truck that looked exactly like the one in Final Destination 2. Whilst I was in the Lake District going up a hill, it was in front of me, I was driving a really crappy old uh, Renault Clio and uh, I was terrified uh, luckily um, I didn't die I, I do like I, I do like accidentally realising you're in the plot of the movie yeah I had the same thing <laughs> when I was um, I was on a train on the way to a hostel in Slovakia nice which is literally the opening scene of Hostel and I was like oh cool maybe we should stay in a hotel <laughs> people like lifting their <laughs> sleeves up with dodgy tattoos <laughs> yeah so I, yeah as I say I think it really stuck with me and actually interestingly with the with the tree trunks so apparently they they tried to film it with real logs for the sequence but they didn't bounce enough <laughs> that's good to know that's, that's a relief <laughs> we, we, so, we tried to recreate this but it couldn't happen you're gonna be okay yeah so yeah it's it's great you know it has the whole like a lot of the scene is leading up to stuff that is gonna go wrong so you've got like the guy that's drink driving but he's driving like a brewery truck so he's like taking from his own supply and there's a really shit line in it where it pans past the uh, camera and it says please drink responsibly and one of the girls in the cast like yeah real responsible <laughs> it's just it's fucking terrible you've got the cop with his coffee that's like really precariously balanced and that's the that's the cop who's driving behind the truck yeah that has a loose chain yeah and does nothing about it <laughs> yeah yeah because he's more concerned about his coffee and then you've got there's also a guy that's driving with his knees while snorting coke as well so you know there's really Everything that could go wrong does go wrong. It was also set in a alternate universe where they don't have brakes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a lot of the pileup could have just been stopped by someone braking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. So obviously, yeah, it was kind of the, the cop's coffee spilling is kind of what sets off the whole chain reaction. That's the thing that annoys me about the scene. It's the policeman's coffee that sets off the whole thing. Mm. But he, after the premonition, isn't on the road anymore. But the crash still happens. So, yeah. like, arguably, if we want to, you know, have the deep philosophical question, uh, conversation <laughs> about Final Destination 2, would the crash have happened if they hadn't gone onto the road? All I'm saying is this film seems deeply unrealistic. Are we, are we, <laughs> are we grandfather paradoxing Final Destination yeah, 2? Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying Chris Nolan wouldn't put up with that shit. <laughs> no, he wouldn't. I mean, the cop would be... Actually, I don't even want to think about what Chris Nolan would do with yeah. the Final Destination film. All sets off. Incre like, it is... It's, it's a lot of fun, the crash scene. Like, it's just explosions for days that make no sense whatsoever. It, it, it's Michael Bay levels of pointless. Like, <laughs> it absolutely. That's not how a car crash works. No, not at all. I like, you have like a, the tiniest like crash from a, 
I think there's an 18 wheeler that goes into a car, which obviously is not going to be, you know, a good outcome. It's not going to be pleasant. But it's, I'm surprised the coffee didn't explode when he dropped that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's, I mean, there's some great, great deaths in the opening sequence. The cop, kind of his head gets flattened with a tree trunk that just like flies through the entirety of the cop car. The guy that's snorting all the coke, his, his car flips a ridiculous amount of times. There's the guy whose water bottle gets like stuck under the brake, you know, going back to brakes not working, which is actually a legitimate fear of mine. Like if you've ever dropped anything in a car and it going under one of your pedals is, oh, is yeah, terrifying. Yeah, that, that scares me. Um, again... Oh huge explosion my next note on all of this was just huge huge explosions which kind of <laughs> like you say it's it's michael bay doing a crash scene well i do like in my notes one of my notes is just do you remember that burnout game <laughs> question mark because <laughs> there was a um i'm sure it was burnout where there was a mode where you just had to cause a crash yeah and then you it had totaled, to get, yeah the bigger the crash the yeah it totaled up the insurance money yeah yeah and it was just, I, I couldn't stop thinking about that while watching Final <laughs> Destination 2. Which is great, because the first time I watched it, like you said, I'm fairly sure a lot of my driving anxiety comes from <laughs> this film. And now I watch it back and it's like, oh, you know what? That video game was great. It was a great, it was a great video game. It hasn't aged well, but it was great. No. So yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's, it's a lot of fun and it's interesting, you know, and as I said, I think it's just one of those iconic scenes from the franchise. And talking about it in terms, in the context of a terrible film, I mean, you know, I've already spoken about how shit some of the dialogue is, but it is an objectively stupid film so yeah it's 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 ridiculous it is utterly utterly ridiculous but the first scene i think is, is quite a lot of fun if you think if you say final destination you remember the logs the bouncing the death the explosions yeah no that's uh, that's a fair point i think i my main memory of the final destination movies is sean william scott who i have to keep reminding myself is a thing but he was in the first one i think he gets decapitated by something off a train so it took until uh, episode four, but I am finally going to talk about Nicolas Cage. So Nicolas Cage, um, as I'm sure everyone knows, is by far one of the greatest actors who's ever lived. As a lot of people who know me know, <laughs> I unironically love Nicolas Cage. I mean, I, to, I, to the point that your birthday this year was a double bill of Con Air and The Rock. Yeah, and, and last year, the f first film I watched on my 30th was Face Off. I, I, I legitimately think he is, a, he, is a, he is a great actor. He has done some great films. He's lent into him being insane a lot more recently. And I also think a lot of his career can be um, explained by bankruptcy. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> because I mean, he spent a lot of money on a dinosaur skull, a castle. A castle another castle he's going to be buried in a pyramid in new orleans this is all true <laughs> he's he's insane and he is the gift that keeps giving he has done a lot of bad films <laughs> there's there's no beating around the bush there oscar nominated and oscar winning nicholas cage has done some very bad has films. he won any razzies yeah yeah i'm sure he has he must, he must have he's he nicholas cage <laughs> But, they must um, have a category just the, every the year. Nicolas Cage. The most Nicolas Cage, Nicolas Cage performance of the year. Yeah, but he was in, he was in, uh, so a film called Knowing, which is one of the only notes I made on this film was that it was entirely mundane. It's a mystery where you immediately understand the mystery and know what's going to happen. And I don't understand how he couldn't figure it out. So basically the idea is 50 years ago, a girl had the idea of leaving a time capsule at school and her class left kind of notes and pictures and stuff, but she didn't leave pictures. She 
drew out a random uh, series of numbers. Basically a big um, Sudoku puzzle, right? Basically. Just like a random string of numbers. This was put in the box and then ended up getting to Nicolas Cage's kid. Um, and then Nicolas Cage saw it and figured out that the numbers were referencing major world disasters over the past 50 years. So they referenced uh, his career post-2010? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He figures out that it's referenced to loads of previous things. And then to not to test this out, but... There's a day where he knows something's going to happen, but he can't figure out these other random numbers in the chain. And then, for some reason, his car sat-nav works off of longitude and latitude. Doesn't yours? <laughs> I go everywhere on longitude and latitude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, doesn't everyone? <laughs> but his, his sat-nav literally just has longitude, latitude, and that's it. He's, he's driving along, gets stuck in traffic, and then realizes that this matches up to the numbers for that day. And he goes up, talks to this kind of policeman who's stopping traffic, and then there's this plane crash. And the plane crash is the scene which I've chosen here. So, And I know immediately when I watched this scene, because I haven't seen the, the movie before, but I watched the scene before we, we, uh, we were recording this, and I knew exactly why you picked this. You could say that I was knowing... That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So one of the reasons I chose this is because the film is terrible and this is an incredible scene. The other reason I chose this is because it is an entirely one-shot scene. And for some reason, exactly. that's my jam. Yeah. <laughs> it's I'm a complete sucker for a one-shot scene or a scene that's done in one take or one shot that's done well. So things like the... There's an episode of Haunting of Hill House. House, episode is, six. Yeah, which is one of the best hours of TV I've ever seen. Yeah, and that the bit in the funeral parlor and the, yeah. it's, it's, it yeah. is phenomenal. It's a, an episode that's shot in a number of long takes um, that takes place over two separate timelines and it is genius. You had 1917 recently, which was done as a series of... 1917 was ages ago. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> um, the... Uh, the movie 1917 <laughs> was done as kind of a series of faux long takes. There's countless examples, but the, there's the, one in, a good one in Extraction. There's a really long, continuous yeah. take fight scene in Extraction. Which I haven't. Is it's the Chris Hemsworth one, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I have. I've been told it's incredible, but I haven't seen it yet. By me. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but so the, the the plane crash is from the moment they spot the plane, which is an issue in itself because everyone's looking in the wrong direction, then reacts to this plane crash, which is coming from the other direction which is hilarious but from the moment they see the plane crash it's a single take of the plane crashing and Nicolas Cage running towards the plane crash trying to save people seeing the damage seeing what's happening and it comes out of absolutely nowhere in what is a distinctly boring film um, it doesn't make any sense as to why he's there doesn't make any sense as to how he's randomly stumbled onto this this plane crash it's the, it's it's you know if if you use longitude and latitude more maybe you'd see a few more plane crashes oh well, yeah but there's also like a scene later in the film where he um because he's figured this out he knows something's going to happen on this new york street and it turns out to be a train crash right so planes and trains. There's no automobiles. I'm annoyed that I was <laughs> drinking at that point because that was my line. <laughs> but the, so he's also at the scene of this massive train crash. Yeah. So 
he would 100% be arrested. Yeah, it's like it's a little too convenient. Yeah, right? there's no way that you'd have a guy at the scene of a plane crash and then a couple of days later at the scene of a train crash. It's, it doesn't <laughs> The film make should be called Unfortunate. Yeah, Unfortunate <laughs> Circumstances. Yeah, it's one of those films that I, I, I would recommend people watching just because it's a fun film to talk about because it doesn't make any sense, which I think is 80% of Nicolas Cage's career over the last 15 years. Like hmm. films like National Treasure where you could accidentally solve all of the clues and questions he's trying to do because they're easy it's not <laughs> it's not a difficult thing one of them is like there is a brick with a picture on it's like someone would have found that and just kind of gone oh there's a brick with a picture on oh look these weird glasses and everything would be fucked but knowing is yeah it is a bad sci-fi film he doesn't go full Nicolas Cage in it either which is always upsetting yeah so I like the plane crash itself one one thing I noticed with it and this you know this is maybe a little bit unfair because this happens with a lot of films but like i felt the cgi on it dated it a little bit with the crash itself yeah the so that they they mixed a lot of practical effects yeah with very bad cgi fire yeah and then there's also the other thing i found really weird is that so there's obviously been this massive plane crash and it seems like there's two types of people that have survived this they're either absolutely fine or they're on fire. There's no in between. <laughs> they're, they're, they're absolutely fine or on fire and don't want anything to do with Nicolas Cage. And also, the people on fire have clearly never heard of Stop, Drop and Roll because all of them are just running around flailing. Well, I mean, they've got bigger things to worry about, you know, like the fact they've just been in a plane crash. Well, there is that, but you know, if yeah, we, we all remember Stop, Drop and Roll, surely. Ah, fair, fair. But I do think, yeah, you're right. There is this, there, there is a hilarious bit in it where there's a woman running towards Nicolas Cage, screaming for help. Nicolas Cage goes to help her, and then she's like, fuck this, and runs off. Because yeah. she clearly wants help, but not from Nicolas Cage. I mean, I think that's that's the reaction a lot of people <laughs> would have. If in your, in your moment of trauma, Nicolas Cage runs up to you screaming. It's... <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, it, it, it really is like an incredible scene and it, it's completely my wheelhouse in that it's it's a single shot and it's Nicolas Cage, which, you know, don't want to sound biased or anything, but that's all I need. Not not from a film. Just in life. Just in general. <laughs> it's, I, I feel like now this exists, I can just kind of stop trying. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, this will be the first of many Nicolas Cage films I crowbar into top three lists. <laughs> So I'm going to go with, for my second choice, a film I absolutely hate, which is 2013's Man of Steel. But the scene within this is the the opening 20-minute <laughs> uh, sequence on Krypton. I'll allow it. is fantastic. It's our <laughs> friend of the podcast, Zack Snyder, uh, directing again. But it's like we said, Zack Snyder is very good at filming moments and cool things. Yeah, absolutely. entire films. Oh, without a doubt. This scene is what I want Superman to be. And I kind of so want... Russell Crowe. <laughs> basically, yeah. yeah. Ru- Russell Crowe and just like some incredible effects. Krypton looks amazing. I want a whole movie set there. Um, apparently there's a TV show that I wasn't aware of called Krypton that's two seasons in. It just, the state, like it's kind of got like emo Pandora vibes. Like that's <laughs> that's kind of how, how I see Krypton. Well, I thought it looked more like a hive. There is that too. There is that too. Yeah, you've got Russell Crowe as Daddy Superman, which fighting around the world. Yep. Which I, you know, it that was. I think he was he was great. You've got the obviously the birth of Superman, which must be painful. She must have some kind of super uterus. And he's the uh, the first natural born baby that wasn't born out of 
weird underwater seaweed factories. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. There's a lot of really good visuals, I think, within it. One of the things I was the biggest fan of were the kind of floating 4D sonogram slash midwife slash men in black flashy things slash 3D FaceTime slash galactic GPS things. Yep, yep. They're cool. Um, apparently, it's meant to be a load of magnetic beads suspended in a magnetic electromagnetic field, which is how they do all of the stuff that they do. Uh, you know, obviously, lots of lots of Russell Crowe. I thought getting it's interesting. So, Man of Steel was obviously the first kind of like Superman movie during this DC cycle yeah so it was it was the first film in the in what was supposed to be the dc expanded universe yeah and so i guess technically and technically this this krypton scene is like the origin of superman yeah but one of the really interesting things that they do is i'd argue it's more an establishment of the origin of general zod you know there's there's so much in that where they're you know they're talking about why he's doing what he's doing and you know really you know and at the end of the day, that's a superhero movie, right? It's the good versus the evil. There was, uh, when they introduced him... So this isn't the Nicolas Cage reference I was going to make. But, so, we watched The Rock. Yeah. As we said, and the bad guy had a point. It was all about, you were kind of on his side. It was like, oh, you're doing, um, all of this is because of, it was like military stuff. And it was like, I get you. Yeah, and then yeah. Zod comes out at the beginning of Man of Steel. And it's like, you know what? I'm doing this for the, the betterment and survival of our species because you politicians are destroying the planet. And I was like, yeah, Imagine you got that. Yeah, you got a point. And then he went, yeah, and we'll choose the bloodlines that survive. Yeah. It was like, oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> that went eugenics-y fast. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I also the other thing like I think it was good at establishing Zod, but I don't know why. But Michael Shannon just doesn't work as a bad guy for me. He's not particularly threatening. I don't think. I think the thing is Michael Shannon can be threatening. Yeah, like he, he but like he's a, very quietly imposing. But this is it. But he doesn't like, seem to come across in this. He's not like the big bad guy, and it it almost looks like his suit of Krypton armor just dwarfs him, and he's just a little bit. I was like, yeah, okay, you're Zod. It, de- it definitely seems to fit Russell Crowe better. Oh, absolutely. He would be a great Zod, actually. Yeah, maybe maybe there needs to be a, a, a switch there because... Yeah, like I could... And also it would mean more Russell Crowe, which I'm, yeah. I'm on board with. Dear Zack Schneider, <laughs> please cast <laughs> Russell Crowe in more of your film. But, I mean, it, it's, you know, at the at the end of the 20-minute long scene... Yeah. Um, Michael Shannon also has the very imposing fate of being launched into a black hole yeah. in what is clearly a butt plug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah fair point galactic butt yeah. plug nothing says imposing like a man outcast to the sex toy <laughs> but yeah i think there's yeah there's lots of daddy superman being a badass there's lots of really big explosions you've kind of got a full-on space battle at one point and I, d- I don't know if this is for definite it sounded like it to me it sounded like they were stealing tie fighter noises when they had the spacecraft and also the pilots really looked like tie fighter pilots so i don't know if that was like an intentional nod to star wars or Zack schneider just not being very creative uh, yeah no I, I, I can see that but like we say not very creative but the, the design work and it was really cool oh don't don't disagree like it was that there, there was so much happening and yeah, Russell Crowe is just a badass. Yeah, and talking of so much happening, there's a fucking four-winged space dragon. Yep. Which is just, I mean... In, a, in my notes, I refer to him as Weird Valko Geezer. 
Um, and who also saves Russell Crowe when he decides to like skydive away from even more explosions it also captures like whilst it is a big action scene it kind of captures like the emotion of everything as well like these you know Superman has been born Cal or whatever you want to call him for the first as you say the first like natural birth and these two people who are his parents you know having to fire him off into space luckily not in a butt plug and never see you know potentially never seeing well definitely never seeing again spoiler they get blown up so yeah i think it's i think it kind of yeah it just it gets i think it's a really good origin i think krypton looks great it's not without fault as you mentioned there's the weird monkey skull in the baby lake which (laughs) (laughs) i'd love to hear like a krypton conversation of like daddy where do babies come from it's like well we've got the shattered monkey skull and yeah lots lots of seaweed with like matrixy babies very matrixy it's very matrixy yeah i think the, the, the question i had was so they, they take the... So the monkey skull is like the codex, which contr- has all like the Krypton DNA and genes yeah. and stuff in. And then they turn it into basically like a Superman pen. <laughs> yeah. So if there was the opportunity for it to not be a shattered monkey skull, surely you would take the opportunity to not have it as a shattered monkey skull. I feel like maybe it's just... You know, it's one of those things where you're like... I know I need to. Do, I need to do that. I need. To, I need to paint that wall. But I only, need to, yeah, you only remember like, it when you see it. And it's, yeah, and then you're like, oh, you oh, know, shattered monkey skull. We it's the to... weekend. I could replace the shattered monkey skull, but I really want to go. And... We could Krypton prime it, but ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Um, yeah, the planet's going to explode soon. Exactly. What's that was the another point? thing. They, they, they're, they're, they talk about like. Um, I think there's a there's a scene when they're talking to kind of the the like the the board of politicians at the beginning yeah and they're just in, in my again in my notes i've just got are they dead though <laughs> they have a scene where it's like yeah we're all dead it's like you've clearly got spacefaring technology because you're about to send your newborn child into space yeah and zod in a butt plug yeah like there's stuff you could do but it was like space fracking or something screwed him over <laughs> space fracking <laughs> but you you talk about like the destruction and that the scene with like mama superman looking out on krypton exploding and then she gets very praised is yeah, also really cool. very cool yeah i just think the rest of the movie is garbage in my opinion i think it kind of follows the blueprint of a lot of dc movies i find it was too long i thought that it builds up to this really long end fight and the stories of it so so i i disagree and not because i've been told we have to be more argumentative (laughs) Um, no so i i disagree so I, i think man of steel it's the kind of film which was judged with where it was going right so for example so Man of Steel paints kind of a very dark picture of Superman. It's clearly like a Clark Kent coming to terms with who he is, what that means for him, and everything like that. Yeah. Like, sure, there's a load of stuff in the film that doesn't make sense. Like, Kevin Costner didn't have to die. <laughs> but there's, there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of interesting decisions. And obviously it ends with him just flat out snapping General Zod's neck. Yeah. Which is a different take for Superman. But if you then developed that and had like a sequel where the world's is scared of him and they don't know where he is and that's then where you would have like the rise of Lex Luthor and things and then he ends up solidifying himself and proving himself to be you know the all-American kind of Superman that everyone loves yeah suddenly that journey is a lot more interesting and with hindsight Man of Steel is an interesting kind of stepping off point for it and then from there you would have 
Batman vs Superman, where you're taking the established Superman and bringing him down, and suddenly that has more impact. And yeah, it, it, it was it was a very interesting stepping off point that they then completely fucked up. And yeah. because they fucked it up, it meant that Man of Steel is also shit because they didn't do anything with it. Yeah, fair point. But I did. I I hated the movie personally. Yeah, I, but it's also got Henry Cavill. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, I had. I've got a fun fact here for you, which I pulled out specifically for you. I thought you'd enjoy. Was it, it that Nicolas Cage was also going to play uh, Superman in Superman Lives in the Early Nineties? No, it wasn't that. It was that. It was that Zack Snyder said that he really wanted to include a shirtless scene of Henry Cavill in the film because throughout the film you see him in a form-fitting bodysuit where he appears extremely muscular, and the audience would think it was just rubber muscles, but. Zack Snyder said that it was important to show them as it was indeed Cavill's body under that suit and it was all real. Um, but yeah, I think it's... Look, I, I, I don't agree with a lot that DC have done sort of post... Uh, That's cool. Just, um, just, just before we move on okay. to DC, I would let Henry Cavill work me like a ventriloquist dummy. <laughs> <laughs> That's a T-shirt. We'll cut out the next 20 minutes of me talking about the uh, intricacies of what I would let Henry Cavill... I, Henry? Let, <laughs> Henry? I, I would let Henry Cavill build me a PC. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I need one, so I would let him do that too. Anyway, DC. Yeah, I don't really like anything they've done sort of post-Batman trilogy, Nolan Batman trilogy. I liked Shazam. I thought that was a lot of fun. I think that the, the, the best DC films since kind of the Dark Knight trilogy have been the ones that haven't explicitly tried to be the basis of a, its own universe. Yeah, yeah. Because so Shazam. Yeah, so like so Shazam, um Aquaman was a lot of fun. I haven't bought myself to watch that. It, it's like I would I would honestly recommend it. Like it's not it's not a cinematic classic or anything. Yeah. But there's an octopus that plays the drums. So <laughs> that's the kind of film you're going into. Jace Momoa's fun. I think Julie Andrews plays like a massive squid god or something. It's <laughs> Is, is there a musical number whilst there's, with, from Julie Andrews whilst the octopus is playing the drums? Unfortunately, no. Oh. But the, no, the, Ac- the reef Ac- is yeah. alive with the sound of music. Yeah. I mean, Ac- Aquaman was a lot of fun. Joker didn't try to. It, actually, yeah, sorry, things. I retract my statement. Um, Joker was very good. And like the, the Robert Patterson Batman looks like it could be very interesting. Uh, Robert Patterson uh, is quietly becoming a very, very good actor. He was so good in Tenet, I thought. He was, he was always a very good actor. But everyone thought of him as that guy from Twilight, my, myself included. Like um, The Lighthouse. Yeah, I is, still haven't seen that. It will definitely be on a future episode or something yeah. because it's it's an incredible film and I have absolutely no idea what happened. It's kind of like um, Matthew McConaughey, right? Matthew McConaughey was like he was he was that rom com guy. Oh, and DiCaprio then, as well. Then he did fair. Dallas Buyers Club yeah. and yeah, it was Lincoln Lawyer, wasn't the. Was that the first? Kind of, I think that was like the reconnaissance started there. Yeah, that and then obviously the first season of True Detective, which was which was fantastic. Anyway, back to uh, Man of Steel. I just think it's such a good uh, beginning to a film. It sets me up thinking that I'm going to see something that I'm absolutely going to love. First scene ends with Soup's coming to Earth. Perfect kind of like full trajectory of his origin, Zod's origin. And then I have to watch Man of Steel. So it's a great, great scene in for what for me was a pretty lackluster movie. So my final choice which I maintain is the correct answer to this question. It's the the Duel of the Fates from Star Wars Episode One: 
the Phantom Menace. So that's the the final lightsaber duel between Darth Maul, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Qui-Gon Jinn. Don't know if everyone remembered kind of like the first time they watched kind of like the original trilogy, but I, for one, definitely ended Return of the Jedi thinking, you know what, this was a good film, but what I really needed was more in-depth discussion about trade taxation uh, and trade routes with trade franchises. <laughs> Yeah, and luckily Phantom Menace delivered on that and, delivered and, and, and then, then some. <laughs> yeah. It's um so we rewatched Phantom Menace the- for this podcast and it was nearly enough for me to pack in during this podcast. It <laughs> it was even worse than I remembered it being, and I'd also forgotten that it was nearly like it's two hours fifteen. Yeah. Nothing makes sense. At some point they have like force super speed. But they don't have that at the end, which arguably would have saved everyone's lives. The pod racer scene is, you know, it is awesome, but it's also 15 minutes long. There's also a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense in that because, like, Sebulba, he sabotages Anakin's pod in broad daylight with everyone looking and no yeah. one realizes anything. And also, the sabotage doesn't take effect until, like, 10 minutes into the race. Yeah, and it's. It's just a horrible film. Nobody watched Star Wars thinking, you know what, this is great, but I really wish Darth Vader was six. Six <laughs> and a slave. So we get that And stuff. a brat as well. And a brat. And it's even without talking about problems with the actual plot, which there are lots, the film's also really racist. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it, it was... The, the Trade Federation are clearly Chinese stereotypes. Watto is all types of anti-Semitic. And then Jar Jar Binks, which the less said about Jar Jar Binks, the better. Um, absolutely. It's... Um, the other thing uh, that really... Just give, give, me, yeah, give, give me 20 minutes. So, <laughs> first of all, the invasion force that's going to attack Naboo, which I'm fairly sure is both a planet, a people, and a city, lands on the opposite side of the planet to where it needs to go. Surely they're just, you know, trying not to be too obvious. Yeah, yeah. subtly landing there. (laughs) They beat the blockade just by kind of going through it, which sounds like a shit blockade. Isn't there a big part of it where, like, military strategy really goes out the window because they're marching on Naboo, but rather than having a nice wide strategic deployment of their forces, they're just, like, single file? Well, yeah, because it cuts straight from them landing to a victory parade. Like, nobody seems to try and stop them, <laughs> which, yeah. power to them. The other thing that really bothered me with this film was that there's a lot of really, like, cool introductions between characters that, well, sorry, I'll rephrase that. There's a lot of introductions between characters that should have been really cool, like yeah. C-3PO meeting R2-D2 for the first time, and it's just shit. It's just like, oh, hi. Well, the first time um, Anakin meets Obi-Wan, yeah. it's literally just, this is Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's like, sir... <laughs> I was like, cool. Like, I get Qui-Gon was clearly distracted because he was clearly shafting Anakin's mum back on Tatooine. But I could have used a better word than shafting. Yeah, that, was, that wasn't the best turn of phrase. Um, entertaining. There was, a, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of sexual tension between them. But they also, like, they made the Force a thing. The, the whole midi-chlorians thing. Yeah. Of making the Force, like, a biological, cellular... Thing. It's basically like like Scientology and theatres, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's, it was they they took everything everyone loved and wanted from Star Wars, and then gave you a story about a child. Anyway, I could I could talk about that for a very very long time, and I'm sure I will circle back to how shit the film is. But the Duel of the Fates is it is not even without talking about the scene. The music 
is the best piece of music in the entire Star Wars saga, and arguably it's one of the best cinematic scores ever. I mean, I, I definitely had down here that, for me, the music was better than the fight. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's incredible. We'll do, like, a duet on it later. Um, <laughs> and as soon as the as soon as the music kicks in, like, the film suddenly seems to brighten. It's like, oh, maybe this wasn't a waste of my time. <laughs> and then the whole fight scene isn't, like, anything you've seen before or anything you would have seen before because, obviously, they're kind of the lightsaber battles in the original trilogy were a lot more kind of honorable duel fencing stuff yeah well this was all backflips and it was the uh, the double-sided thing and darth maul was like everyone's favorite star wars characters always seem to be like oh well boba fett was cool it's like didn't say anything he's not a character yeah darth maul was cool it's like he had two lines it was peter serafranowitz <laughs> The thing, you know, you talk about how, like, you've got the double-sided lightsaber, you've got the backflips and everything. It's so cool. It's weird how you go from, like... And also all of the technology in the prequel films yeah. far outstrips the technology and stuff in the original trilogy, yeah, which yeah. happens after. It just seems weird that it's kind of going backwards but going forwards at the same time. Yeah, it, it's... I, I think my favourite thing with the, the lightsaber duel is... It's so cool that you forget to ask some obvious glaring questions. So question one, what the fuck is this bottomless pit that's underneath a palace? <laughs> like, what's it doing? It's like the moon door in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Right? Question two, why are there no railings? It's a bottomless pit underneath a palace. If you're going to have one... I feel like basic health and safety should be followed. I'm hoping that similar to how we got Rogue One to explain the the plot holes in uh, the original trilogy, that maybe we'll get just a a, a standalone movie that explains the bottomless pits oh, throughout Star Wars. It's just an interview with an engineer who worked on the palace. <laughs> so, well, Queen Amidala really wanted this bottomless pit. <laughs> and then you've also got like the the Galaxy Quest style kind of opening and closing red gates, mm. which. I don't understand why they're there. I also don't understand why he didn't use the super speed they've already shown they could do. Yeah. But you didn't think of that when you were watching it. Instead, you were thinking, this is incredible. It's it's so kind of fast-paced and well-choreographed, and it's just great. Up until the point that Obi-Wan is dangling, Qui-Gon Jinn's already like got a hole in him. Yeah. And Darth Maul could have easily finished him off. The guy's dangling. He's got nothing there. All he would need to do, lightsaber, straight down, Don, as you said, bottomless pit, doesn't have to worry about him again. And he just does fuck all. And that that really annoyed me. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. But I don't care. <laughs> it's so fucking cool. Good rebuttal. <laughs> yeah. The only annoying thing with Duel of the Fates for me is that it's interspersed with a small child accidentally being better than an entire planet's air force which comprises of about 19 people and what can only be described as shit wakanda because you've got like the gungans and their shield which doesn't really stop anything oh it stops fighting. it stops bullets but not things yeah. which is pointless Absolutely. and then also like how does a robot get promoted like do they are they promoted or are they built because you've got like there, there are corporals and stuff and lieutenants and yeah do they just get like a, are they all made the same? And then they, you know, the comic relief villains. I mean, there must be, you know, there's, there's got to be with, with any promotion. I mean, I'm sure there's, there's, uh, there's performance reviews. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, they must take into account length of service. 
Yeah, who knows? But it's awful. Like that whole battle scene. It's another thing nobody asked for with Star Wars was slapstick comedy. <laughs> and there's there's so much like tedious slapstick shit. Well, also, isn't there a bit where Jar Jar just starts farting as well? Uh, he steps in shit. Yeah. Um, at one point, yeah, which is um, a metaphor for the whole film. Yeah. Yeah, and and then like it's just so creepy. The whole like Anakin Padme dynamic isn't cool. No, um, like, unfortunately, this is a purely auditory <laughs> um, endeavor for everyone listening. But I'd love you to see Ian's face right now. He looks genuinely upset. It's so creepy. <laughs> and then also that the, this scene's got when Anakin gets freed from slavery. Um, it takes him a good three minutes to ask about his mum. <laughs> well, she was clearly with quite John, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was, she was busy. <laughs> but we we could talk about this for ages. But Phantom Menace is universally panned as not only an awful film but an awful Star Wars film and a massive and colossal disappointment for everyone apart from toy manufacturers. It was bad at the time, and it's aged even worse. Yeah, it's, and the, the the graphics are poor. The like, what George Lucas does, like he does design very well. Things in it are cool. There's like there's clearly good ideas, but what he really needs is like this is what happens when you don't say no to George Lucas. Yeah, you end up with taxation laws. You know, on on the positive side, we did get a very good N sixty four pod racing game. So well, the 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 um. The games based on this were incredible because there was a Phantom Menace game that was really fun, and there was uh, like a Naboo Starfighter game yes, that was awesome. Yeah, I remember that. But the film is dire. Yeah, and then it's it's so bad it makes like Revenge of the Sith seem really cool. It yeah, I mean it was an awful, it was the worst part of what is an awful trilogy, but that scene is one of the best scenes in kind of any of the Star Wars films. Yeah, it, it, is, right. it is a great scene. And as I say, I, I think the one of the best things about it is is the score. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, the the score, choreography, the like I said, everything up until Darth Maul clearly being able, like I would, I'm fine with him showboating because that kind of fits in with the whole Sith character. But then when Obi Wan jumps up. That's kind of when you would think Darth Maul would sweep into action, but he just kind of watches him jump, turn around, and then gets cut in half. Yeah, you know, perhaps there's something you know in his past that um, that we just don't know about because there was no fucking character development. Oh yeah, but you, you know, I mean, if there was something in his past that we don't need to know, I'm sure George Lucas will try and make a fucking film about it. But D- Darth Maul is now like a very prominent character in um, some of the TV series. Yeah, I'm um, around to watching those. No, like they're supposed to be incredible. Like all the Clone Wars stuff and Rebels and things like that yeah. are supposed to be insane. Um, but yeah, Phantom Menace was just a, a massive disappointment. But you can't deny that Duel of the Fates was insane. Okay, so my final pick is from the Matrix Reloaded in 2003. Which was Matrix 2. Matrix 2, yeah. The first Matrix that shouldn't have been made. Um, Matrix Revolutions is the second Matrix that shouldn't have been made. The scene itself is is the Burly Brawl, which is a strange name. Apparently it's because the 
the two sequels were filmed under the codename Burly Man, and it kind of got its name from that. And also the music that the fight is set to is called The Burly Brawl as well. We'll get into the, the scene in a minute. My biggest issue with the movie and why I hate it is that... It's bad. There's that. <laughs> Reloaded and Revolutions didn't need to happen. The Matrix itself is such a good piece of cinema. It stands so well on its own. It didn't need anything else. I say it didn't need anything else. The Animatrix, as a like companion anthology, was great. I was going to say, the, the, the Animatrix was awesome. But there was no need for sequels. And I get why they did it. It was a really successful film. Like It made sense from a Hollywood perspective. However, I hate the Wachowskis for doing it. Within... <laughs> The Matrix Reloaded. You have the Burly Brawl scene, which is basically what the film was kind of sold on. A lot of the trailers were bits of the Burly Brawl, which is Neo fighting off 80-plus Agent Smiths. Speaking of unimposing villains, <laughs> Hugo Weaving. <laughs> I, I, he's down in my notes as Elrond. I just think this is the scene that everyone remembers from the movie. There's some great lines in it, just the obvious, like, Mr. Anderson. But then there's also the really good ones where he's like, you... Me. Me, me, me. <laughs> and then he, like, stabs the random other agent and he transforms into Agent Smith. And then he's like, me too. <laughs> which is which is just great. That's not great. That's awful. <laughs> <laughs> my my favourite line well, of dialogue... Yeah, my favourite line from that scene was the noise of pole with concrete attached to it being hit against someone's head. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I re- that really... I really enjoyed about this is I loved the PS2 game Into the Matrix and it kind of felt like it was that the, that was the one where you were Jada Plinkett Smith yeah yeah and it kind of felt like they bought all of the, like the fun fight scenes from that to the film where you're fighting off lots of different agents which I thought that was really cool I mean obviously there's the whole standoff at the start where you know there's this there's some really obvious exposition that is needed to explain what the hell is going on and why Agent Smith isn't the whole film is like plugged into the Matrix anymore it's 20% Kung Fu 60% exposition and the rest is philosophy nobody understands yeah and it's all slightly tinted green (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> basically um, is Reloaded the one that has like the cave rave orgy uh, ooh I don't know I think that's I feel like that might be Revolutions but I'm not sure it's ridiculous we'll, check. We'll, um, we'll we'll segment in future future Ian is it Matrix Reloaded that has the rave cave orgy pause for reply greetings from the future it is I future Ian so Matrix Reloaded is the film that includes the weird rave cave orgy where a bunch of people get hot and sweaty in a cavern listening to what sounds like post-apocalyptic blue man group which is exactly what you want to do when you're hiding from robot calamari anyway back to past Ian and Graham Anyway, so thanks for that, Futurian. So the scene itself, it took 27 days to film this one scene. Oh, wow. Which is nuts. It was choreographed, and I'm going to absolutely fuck the pronunciation here, but by Quen Wo Ping, who is basically like an incredible martial arts choreographer. He's done stuff with Jet Li, John Woo, Jackie Chan. He worked on Kill Bill. This guy knows his shit. Neo in this scene alone performs over 250 moves and each kind of segment of the fight was filmed in 18 second intervals. So that's a long ass 27 days. There's a good mix of like the like regular kind of quick fighting stuff and then they bring in the 
bullet time, which is obviously a hallmark of, of the Matrix films. And one thing I did really enjoy it with it is that it's not like a lot of movies where a load of people are fighting one person, everyone kind of waits their turn to get a punch in. There is a lot of, like, he is at least fighting four or five people that are surrounding him at one time. The Smiths are, you know, the act, the Smiths, as in Agent Smiths, not not, not Morrissey and Co. They're- oh! <laughs> Oh, I, 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 I thought this was Neo fighting the Smiths. I got a load that. of like Vicar in a tutu comments and he was um, minding his business. Meat is murder. They're, they're actively trying to use their numbers to their advantage, which is refreshing in these kind of scenes. There's obviously the bit with the metal pole, like you mentioned, being cracked against someone's head, but he does the bit where he's, you know, he puts it on his back and does like round and round and kicks all of the agent smiths. There's the massive bundle where there's like 80 plus of the agents bundle on top of him. Weirdly, and I don't know if you noticed this when rewatching it, but there's a bit where he flings an agent smith into a bunch of other agent smiths. System bowling sound effect yeah they used the 10 pin bowling sound effect knocking them over which just really kind of was odd (laughs) i don't know why but it was it was very odd i don't know why they used it the only other kind of slight criticism i would have of it is that the cgi you know talking about cgi earlier the cgi does age it somewhat so four of the kind of fight sequences in there are 100 percent cgi and you can definitely tell yeah it it definitely hasn't aged that well especially especially in terms of graphics and everything so this Fun, fun piece of trivia was the first 15 I saw at the cinema. <laughs> um, and I, uh, I obviously haven't watched Matrix Reloaded a lot since because you don't need that. I've watched a lot of scenes from these two films. Yeah. So like, There's the highway scene, right? That's fantastic. The highway scene is cool. There's a fight with like the key maker or something that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and then all of the mech suit shit from revolutions is like badass even if you wonder why in like sci-fi future they still use wheelbarrows <laughs> but it's there's yeah I, I definitely remember it being cooler and then when i watched it it was like this is cool but if you do have like a stunt curry or uh what would his title be? Like the if you if you do have this kind of legendary stunt, legendary yeah, yeah, legendary choreographer, why would you use CGI so heavily? Like there's that the whole the, the whole the, all the cool stuff from the Matrix for me was all like the wire foo stuff. Like the the fight scenes were insane, and for here it felt like kind of like what Peter Jackson ended up kind of becoming. Yeah. Of this is cool, but why don't we put more effects in? Yeah, and I think look, the the reason in some of the scenes that they did it is because some of the stuff is physically impossible to do. I don't think any choreographer would be able to get Keanu Reeves to run around a huge number of Agent Smiths with just using a pole to balance. Everything in this scene where it isn't CGI is fantastic. And the CGI stuff is okay, but you can tell it's CGI, and I think that's when CGI falls down. If you know something CGI, it falls down, I think. Yeah, I mean, the so the stunt coordinator did... He was the stunt coordinator on Kung Fu Hustle. Yeah. And Kung Fu Hustle has got a load of kind of one versus many fight scenes in. Obviously, I think Matrix Reloaded is hampered a bit in that they were all supposed to be Hugo Weaving. And there's, unfortunately, only one Hugo Weaving. (laughs) Um, That's an interesting football song, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But it just hasn't, yeah, I, I don't think it's it's aged particularly well. And I mean, the film was crap when it came out anyway. The film was, yeah, the film was, it is terrible. I think the thing... The film is bad, but it's also completely unnecessary. That's that's what gets to me more than anything. Well, I, I understood the plot once. 
me we we watched uh we kind of triple build the trilogy and i actually understood what was happening right um until until i tried to explain it so Ah. i was watching it with a friend it's like oh i I think i get it and it just completely left my mind um also just fact you mentioned this is the first 15 you ever you ever saw in a cinema which reminded me of the time i first went to see um a 12 before i was 12 it was austin powers the spy who shagged me and the moment the woman asking me who uh, who I was buying the ticket from asked me what my date of birth was um, to verify that I was 12 I told her that I've forgotten <laughs> uh, I don't know my birthday I still got in though so she was either terrible at her job or really took pity on me um, nice however yes this for me fantastic scene despite a few flaws also really good music similar to um, Jewel of the Fates I'm just trying to think of what the plot was and I honestly don't care. No, there's something about an architect um, who's got a lot of TVs. Right, so that was our... That was the choices for uh, great scenes in terrible movies. Six great scenes in six awful films. So, um... What's our final top three going to be? I'm, I'm going to throw it out there, and I've convinced myself that actually the Krypton is is the top here out of everything, even though I originally thought Birdie Brawl was better. Talking about it, watching it, it's so good, and Man of Steel was so disappointing. That's 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 fair. I, I would agree it is better than Burly Brawl, because I, I ranked Burly Brawl a lot higher before I'd seen it again. <laughs> this, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And if you could take the CGI out of the Burly Brawl, I think it would be higher. But yeah, I'm going to go absolutely with Krypton. It was so good. And I want to see a Krypton movie. I want to see more of Daddy Superman. You need to stop saying <laughs> Daddy Superman. <laughs> I, I know I said I'd stop using your nickname on the podcast. But... Well, no, it's because it's, that's what I call Henry Cavill. <laughs> <laughs> I just want them to swaddle me. <laughs> uh, I did like one of my one of my favourite things of Man of Steel was uh, in my notes. I just wrote, "Could I make a cape work?" question mark And then I underlined it and circled it. <laughs> so that, that was good to know. I mean, I, I'd rank Man of Steel quite highly for that. Just that now I might get into capes. But I think you should. I think Duel of the Fates is better because if we're both are cool, but Phantom Menace is a lot worse than Man of Steel is. Oh, I Duel of the Fates has it has. The music, it has the cultural impact of it. Like even the scene of him, um, the second half of his lightsaber lighting up was like an instantly iconic scene. Yeah, don't, don't disagree with that. I think it's the thing that really gets me with with Jordan of the Fates is that Darth Maul didn't need to die <laughs> because he could have easily killed Obi Wan. And technically, oh, true, if but the, the Jewel of the Fates went the correct way based on what happened in that fight we've never had the rest of the star wars universe true but also everyone on krypton didn't have to die <laughs> the whole like uh well we're already dead you're not though there's there's a limited amount of butt plugs okay uh, right we'll come back to this i think we can at least agree that in our top two those th- yeah, yeah those are those are both top two krypton and and jewel of the fates I would i'm going to chuck out burly brawl for number three it's fantastic keanu reeves you know the the choreography yes there's there's a couple of downers which mean that it shouldn't be top two the bowling noise the cgi but they basically sold this film off of that using it in in all of the trailers so that's that's my number three true so another problem i have with burly brawl is that it doesn't have nicholas cage in (laughs) and the plane crash from knowing does so for me, I would put the plane crash in three just because it's an incredible scene that 
comes so out of nowhere. Because the, the Burly Brawl, if anything, it's what you had expected The Matrix to be. It's what it, sh- it it's the it's what the film it, it's what it should have been. So it's kind of expected with knowing it's so mundane, and then suddenly you have this like one of the best plane crash sequences in cinema. But nothing <laughs> All made done sense. Is one take. Nothing made sense. It didn't make sense in the Birdie Brawl. <laughs> it's a virus versus a guy who is basically Jesus with Wi-Fi. Exactly. Well, okay, you, you've just sold me the Burly Brawl as number three by saying that's that. That's fair, but <laughs> it still doesn't have Nicolas Cage. <laughs> okay, I feel like it doesn't have Nicolas Cage in but could become a problematic argument for a podcast about I'll, I'll, I'll go, a number go, of different I'll, films. I'll go for another way. Uh, if the whole film was filmed in one take <laughs> instead of 18-second chunks, then maybe... I'd like a twenty-seven day shoot filmed in one take. That'd be that'd be interesting. Yeah, to watch. I, I, I mean it's um, yeah, both are terrible films, but I, I I I I preferred the style of knowing, and I also think the Burly Brawl has been tainted a bit for me just by how cool I remember it being and how little it lived up, or not how little it lived up, how it didn't. It's aged out of that. Like, it was so cool and it was so unlike anything we'd seen before. And now a lot of other people have kind of done that better. Yeah. I. So I think I think that's why, because I, I, I remember watching Knowing the first time and thought the plane crash was incredible. I watched Knowing again the other day, which I regret, and the plane crash was still incredible. Burly Brawl, my main takeaway from rewatching that was, oh, I remember this being cooler. I, I, so yeah, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it still. I the only bits I would cut from it are the the CGI and the <laughs> the bowling <laughs> the bowling noise is ridiculous. I can't get away from that. Maybe if knowing, maybe if when the plane crashed, there was like a you know like a strike noise, I'd I'd be on board with it a little bit. So yeah, I mean we we've, <laughs> we've clearly got a top four. I I don't know where we go from here. <laughs> so I so for me. It would be Phantom Menace, Man of Steel, knowing. Okay, so for me, Man of Steel, Phantom Menace, Burly Brawl. I'm now just wondering if I could haggle. <laughs> it's like, tell, tell you what, give me Phantom Menace as one, and I'll give you Burly Brawl as three. But yeah, for, for, for me, it's just, it's... So fighting around Krypton was really cool, but I don't think it has the sheer cultural impact of Duel of the Fates. The Burly Brawl hasn't aged well enough for me and knowing has Nicolas Cage in <laughs> which you know apparently is not a good argument but it is because Nicolas Cage but yeah I, I, I just think the sheer cultural phenomenon of the, the Phantom Menace scene and how purely offensive that film was in arguably every way you think a film could be offensive okay so we'll go begrudgingly Phantom Menace Jewel of the Fates um, for me, purely on the, the scoring of it, Krypton, because yeah, Krypton was amazing. My second second favourite, uh, Russell Crowe being stabbed in the side scene. <laughs> and then I just feel like the substance of the Burley Brawl outweighs Nicolas Cage in knowing, and um, I would take that as number three. Ah, it's just a shame it was, wasn't was Nicolas Cage in the Burley Brawl, isn't it? I mean, I'd fucking I would like, watch that. Nicholas Cage would... as as Agent Smith would be such a good recast. Or Nicholas Cage as Neo. <laughs> Nicholas, no, Neo's a little too like. Neo... There's no spoon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, fuck it, I'd watch that. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So, okay, so Phantom Menace one. Yep. Man of Steel two. Yep. And then 
you're saying Burley Brawl. Is there any argument aside from the bowling ball noise? The bowling ball noise is the reason it's number three and not higher. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. The bowling ball noise is not why I think it's a good, a good thing. Because they're both, like, there's very similar arguments against both of them because... No, the plane crash also has very bad CGI. Who needs Kung Fu when you have Nicolas Cage running through a field? <laughs> all right. Okay. F- okay. All right. So I, I will concede begrudgingly. Otherwise, this will go on for hours. <laughs> so the final top three great scenes in terrible movies. So number three, we have the burly brawl from Matrix Reloaded. Uh, number two, we have the fighting round Krypton scene from Man of Steel. And number one, we have the Duel of the Fates from Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. That's that's today's episode. So, uh, if you agree with me in that knowing ultimately should have been number three, or if you think Nicolas Cage should be in any other films, you can contact us on Instagram at the podcast nobody asked for. And if you know, like me, are sensible and realise that Krypton definitely better than uh, Jewel of the Fates, hit us up on Twitter. Nobody asked for pod. That's with a number four. Perfect. So do we have a sign-off line or...? Um, no, I would just implore people to check these scenes out but not waste their time watching the whole movies. Ugh, no one asked for this.